1: Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, uh, your host. I can't even play about today, so I'm not going to say the weekend's here. Good Friday is here. Happy Good Friday uh, to you and yours. Uh, Soon we'll all be in church saying he is risen. Uh, And so I'm just going to get right to it. We have a very, very uh, special show today. Uh, we're going to continue uh, a little bit of our conversation from yesterday about Twitter and Elon Musk, but we're going to wrap it in a, in a slightly different package uh, because we're going to talk about Patrick Loyola, uh, the young man that was shot and killed by a Grand Rapids police officer uh, two or three days ago. Or, no, he was shot on April 4th. The video was released in, this week. And it, it's led me to a question about what happened to Black Lives Matter. And there's nobody better to have that discussion with than the officer, Brandon Tatum, who we will uh, bring onto the show shortly. Delano uh, will also uh, come on. Professor D has, has written a column about fatherhood and the Tony Dungy situation, uh, and the controversy about Tony Dungy and Ron DeSantis. Uncle Jimmy will bat cleanup and we will do an approval rating on Black Lives Matter. Uh, but first, I wanna bring in uh, Brandon Tatum, the founder and CEO of the Tatum Report, co-founder of the Blexic Foundation, thats that uh, political organization he and Candace Owen started together, and a former police officer for the city of Tucson, Arizona. Uh, Brandon has a successful YouTube page. Uh, Brandon, again, being a former police officer, is one of the leading experts talking about police-involved shootings and Black Lives Matter and just how we've handled that situation. And so, Brandon, I, I, I wanna, this Grand Rapids thing has brought me to the conclusion that Black Lives Matter is dead, perhaps. I don't, corporate media doesn't seem to be making this big deal about Patrick Loyola. Uh Social media seems to be trying to avoid it. It, it perhaps all the malfeasance with money and the, all the buying of mansions, maybe the brand of Black Lives Matter has been so damaged that it's dead, or is it just on vacation?
2: Well, I think that, uh, and first of all, thank you for having me on. I think that Black Lives Matter went on vacation and committed suicide while they were there um because all of the drama that have gone on between 2020 and now have pr- pretty much shown everybody who has eyes to see and ears to hear that Black Lives Matter isn't a legitimate organization with the fraudulent uh behavior that they've done with money with Patrice Culler stepping down as the as a the main co-founder and you know also the investigation that's going on they can't fundraise in California legally they can't fundraise in many states around the country we can and and we know that they bought mansions with money uh none, none of these families of these black people that have been murdered that they fund Raised on, have gotten any of the money? So at this point, I think Black Lives Matter is dead. However, um, to promote anti-police, anti-white sentiment is is just as strong. Do
1: you think Black Lives Matter will ever be resuscitated, or have they done so much damage with all the financial malfeasance? And, and just the hypocrisy, because I, I was, I don't know if you saw this story or saw uh, Eric Adams, the Democratic mayor of uh, New York City. He trashed uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, I believe just yesterday. Like, where's Black Lives Matter at? You got all these young black men killed in New York City, but you never hear. And when, so when I hear a Democratic politician trying to gain traction by trashing Black Lives Matter, Maybe the Democratic Party has also stepped away from BLM. The polling is so
2: bad. Yeah, the spirit behind Black Lives Matter will last forever because it makes a lot of money for these people who are race hustling. But the actual organization is probably going to die. Yeah, Adams and all these people are conveniently saying negative things about Black Lives Matter now that it has been exposed to the world. But before they weren't saying they were supporting them and they knew that they were fraudulent. So but the spirit behind Black Lives Matter, meaning to destroy America, the Marxist um, ideologies that they promote and to pit citizens against police officers, that will remain strong and it will continue. They're just gonna name it something else. And I don't know what that is at this point, but they're gonna find another name to name it so that their election results can go the way that they want to go. Maybe they'll name it Ben Crump's
1: bank account matters. (laughs) Uh, Because he's the only one that I don't think got the memo because he rushed to Grand Rapids and so, I, I, as a police officer, a former police officer, I want your analysis of what happened with the police officer in Grand Rapids and Patrick Lyola.
2: Right. I I think that. In my opinion, based on my training experience and what I saw from the video, I think it will end up being a justified use of force. And I want people to understand the death of a person is not associated with use of force. You either use appropriate force or not. If that person subsequently die or live, has no relevance to whether or not the use of force was justified. Now, you have a gentleman that was pulled over on a traffic stop because there was, uh, you know, the plate didn't match the vehicle. The police told him several times why he, why he pulled him over, asked for his identification. He never produced the ID, attempted to run, resisted arrest, fought the police officer for several minutes before the officer decided to use less lethal uh, uh, less lethal weapon against him, which was a taser. He fought the officer for the taser for over over 90 minutes, I mean, uh, over 90 seconds. Um, so he fought him for about a minute and a half. And then eventually, once he took possession of the officer's taser, the officer escalated force and used deadly force against him. Unfortunately, the young man ended up dying as a result. So I don't think it has much to do with race. I don't see any evidence of that. I don't think it has much to do with black people just getting killed by police for no reason, because he gave a police officer every reason to escalate force to the point of deadly force. And you know, people want to make this a thing. Benjamin Crump is out there for no other reason but to put money in his pocket, in my opinion. Why do I say that? Because it's not about justice. They know that this officer may may not get prosecuted on this because it was a clear use-of-force situation. Um, but they know that the city is going to pay the family. And I want people to understand this. It does not matter if the officer is guilty or not, if he was responsible or not. The family always get, gets paid out in situations like this because the city settles with them um, for in exchange of not having responsibility for the death. And people may not know that, but that's pretty much what it boils down to. That's why you see these people show up you know chasing an ambulance tell me this
1: let that that's interesting i, I felt like i kind of knew that but i didn't i don't think i understand it on the level you just explained and so i'm going to ask a clarifying question let's say uh the patrick kid had fired a gun at the officer and the officer shot and killed him the the city wouldn't
2: settle in a situation like that, would they? I don't think so. So if, if the officer, uh, if the person clearly was armed and shot an officer or something of that nature, then I think it would be very difficult so they wouldn't pursue it. Um, but if there's a, a situation like this, where the video looks compelling for the average person <coughs> to think, I don't think you should shot him in that fashion, it is easy for people to begin going down the path of, of, you know, suing the police department. And instead of them fighting the family, they normally just settle in court for a crazy amount of money on taxpayer dollar and walk away from it. Let me give you an example. Michael Brown's family got paid out, and that was a justified use of force. Jacob Blake's family got paid out, and it was a justified use of force. And he was committing a crime in the course of him getting killed. I, I mean, now he didn't get killed; he got shot and paralyzed. So there's a, a few of these situations that we've. Found, uh, where Tamir Rice's family got paid out. So it's, it's not necessarily if the use of force was legitimate or not. They call it a wrongful death suit, which means that maybe there could have been a possibility that the person wouldn't have died if somehow the stars aligned and the officer did something different and they normally pay these people out. But in this case, of course, you can Monday morning quarterback, you know, Monday morning judge at any point during this. But when the circumstances that were in that situation, I believe, necessitated a, a use of deadly force.
1: So Brandon, explain to people why there are all the Monday morning quarterbacks say, why didn't he shoot him in the leg? Why didn't he shoot him in the butt? Why didn't he shoot him in the arm? Why did the officer shoot him, it seems in the neck, head, area? Why did the police officer use lethal force when you know the Monday morning quarterbacks say, He could have shot him in the
2: arm. Right. I mean, it's just like saying, why did Tom Brady throw the bomb down the field and nobody was in, 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 in sight? It's because what you don't see is that the wide receiver was supposed to run a go route and he ended up stopping it early. And Tom Brady threw it when he was going and then he stopped. And so it looks like he nobody was down the field. So it's the same thing with policing. If you, if you don't understand the process of use of force policy and how police are trained, then what you see is not going to match up to what you think. When a person has gotten to a point where you have to use deadly force against them, you can shoot them wherever you believe. Leave, um, is going to stop them and eliminate them as a threat. Uh, that, that's, that's just that's just where use of force begins because there is what we would call an escalation of force and the use of force continuum. You start verbally, and then once you grab a person, they begin to fight you. Now you try to overcome them through you know uh, tactics, uh, leg sweep. Arrest tactics, and if that doesn't work, you have to escalate force, which the taser was in play. And once a person is in possession of your taser, which is a deadly weapon, they can render you incapable of fighting if they if you get stung with it, and they they could potentially kill you. So that escalates your level of force that you can use as deadly force. And when you're in a situation like that, and, and I've been in plenty of situations like this gentleman was, the police officer was, you know, when you are spent and you're at the end of your fitness level and you don't you don't know what's next. I mean this guy now has your taser, you don't have a choice to say, oh let me just shoot him in the leg. Because if he take that leg shot, turn around and tase you, you you're gonna be dead. And and what people don't understand as well is that the use of deadly force is the totality of circumstances. So there's other people that's on the scene. You know, his his partner that's in the car with him is is video. So if the guy gets up, he's gonna lose. Somebody else get him, he's gonna lose. So he may have felt that it was necessary to eliminate uh the suspect as a threat immediately and figure out the rest later.
1: And so just for clarity, the partner in the car. Is Patrick Lyola's partner in yes. the not not the police officer, and because that leads me to my next question. Yes. And again, I don't know the dynamics of the police, the budget for police officers in, in Grand Rapids, but we've had this entire defund the polo- police mentality and movement. And so, one of the the if you really wanted Patrick Lyola to survive a situation like this you need to properly fund the police because I think if this, other, if this officer was riding with a partner, I don't think it ever escalates to this level. And so when you start talking about defunding the police, you're talking about less police on the streets, you're talking about more police having to ride in single cars than two cars. Am I right for thinking
2: this? You no, know, a, a thousand percent as a as a police officer. We dealt with budget issues when I was a police officer in Tucson. It is a lot more dangerous when you don't have a, a backup unit. And this in this case, it, it ended up resulting in deadly force and the officer being pretty much spent for his life because there was nobody there to help him. And there was it was no indication that somebody was going to show up at any time soon. And there's two things here. You I think funding the police helps and putting more police officers in the, in the field, which would 100 percent prevented this because they both could have overcame him easily um, and also training officers with tactics. If this officer was proficient in jujitsu and had ground game and knew how to fight better, he would have overcome this laxadaisical suspect who was out of shape very easily but this takes money resources and an effort on behalf of the police department to have their officers very equipped you know somebody like me I was a former athlete I played football this would have been a, a walk in the park for me but every police officer is not the same we need to allow them to have appropriate training so the guy's not dragging them around like you see pictured here. He can actually learn how to leg sweep and, and he did a peronial strike, but it didn't it didn't phase him. But if you're more proficient as an officer, you will be less likely to be in these deadly encounters.
1: What do you think, and you've already indicated they'll probably get some settlement, it'll be justified, it'll it'll be considered a justified shooting. What what happens or t- the mentality of the police officer. I said this yesterday on the show that I actually feel sorry for the police officer. He's in the crosshairs. I don't think he in any way wanted to shoot this man and or kill this man. And and I think we never uh, take notice or properly realize, like, This police officer is feeling a lot of trauma as well that he was forced to do this. I'm sure you've worked and talked with police officers that have had to use deadly force.
2: It's traumatic for them as well. A a thousand percent. I know officers that could never work again. Um, Officers that are connected to me and my my, my in-law, one of my in-laws. Uh, could never work again after having to shoot somebody and that person didn't even die. I knew plenty of people that worked with me on the police department that shot and killed people and they and most of them never recovered. Uh, one officer had to be, you know, put on admin leave and he had to take counseling. He was losing his mind. He lost his wife. I mean, he was going downhill fast. So it's not easy. Like people may look at cops as these um, brutally, you know, inhumane individuals because of the media, but that's not true. I never shot anybody. Thank God. It is traumatizing for you to even see people who have been killed Killed um, When you're in the line of duty, even if you're not responsible, imagine being responsible for the death of somebody. But, you know, the sad part is, is that this is going to cause officers to either get injured more because they're going to be reluctant to to engage in a more uh, meaningful way or, you know, it's going to cause cops to just not be involved at all. Because this was a very simple traffic stop. You run a plate, did match the car. We all know, as a police officer, you all know there's one of two things. Somebody's manipulating plates on cars so they don't have to pay for registration, or it's a stolen vehicle. And then you, a person is supposed to just listen to what you say and take the punishment, and that'll be the end of it. But you don't expect a man to fight you over a, a license plate situation. You don't expect them to continue to fight you after you, after he, both of you guys are pretty much tired. And you don't expect them to try to take your taser. None of these things are expected when you're doing a traffic stop because it's irrational. If people do not resist arrest, Cops will probably never kill people in situations like this. They will never get to that point. So I feel bad for the officers. You know, I don't know what it's like to be an officer today. I I don't know if I could make it because officers are supposed to be given the flexibility, the latitude to do what they're trained to do and to uphold protecting the public from idiots like the ones the one we just saw that decided to fight the cop and lose his life. So, you know, I, I really feel bad for these officers. And I wish that young people and these leaders would come out and just say it stop resisting arrest. If you get caught up, just take your punishment. You have Benjamin Crump, maybe he can defend you while you in jail, but there's no defense of you when you're dead, and it's, it could be 100% preventable.
1: The point I love that you made is, is another one that you see pervasive over social media. Oh, this guy lost his life life over a routine traffic stop over why are they even stopping him over a license plate but you just made the excellent point again about this car with these misused tags is probably stolen or again I I made the argument yesterday I was like look man police aren't stupid the guys that will commit the little crimes are also the guys that will commit the big crimes. And so if you see a little crime, you go, let me pull this over and see what this is about. Who who knows what outstanding warrants this person may have, or like you said, the car could potentially be stolen. And if it's my stolen car, I want the police to pull that person over, I'm sorry.
2: Jason, let me add this. This is this is one of the reasons why suspicion is what it is. If you look at the if if you look at uh, Patrick, I think his name is, if you look at his criminal record, he have been he have pled guilty to multiple stolen vehicles incidents. And also he's been arrested and pulled over for other traffic violations like DUIs and also driving on suspended driver's license. So his behaviors in in the officer's suspicion match up. Because people that typically act like this are involved in criminal activity. That's why when a police pull you over and you begin to act bizarrely over a what what would be a minor traffic stop, the police know that something else is going on here. Why? Because we have experience. I have never in my life had a person jump out of the car like that that was completely oblivious to the traffic violation that they were actually a part of. The only people that have jumped out the car like that have uh, 100% been people who have been guilty of something, trying to hide something, and then inevitably we find out through the investigation, but I mean, It matches the scenario, man. This guy had a record of doing this previously, and they're not going to tell you that the car's stolen or not. They're not going to tell you what his criminal record is. They're not going to tell you if he was on probation, which would demonstrate why he was acting this way on a basic traffic stop. He wasn't afraid of the cops. It wasn't a Black Lives Matter thing. It was because this man has a history of uh, of committing crimes. He could be deported. He could be going to prison for a very long time. That's why he became aggressive and was willing to lose his life to be freed from the police
1: officer. Brandon, I, I know you're, you're former policeman, friends with police officers. Not all police officers are great people. They have bad days. Their wife might make them sleep on the couch. Who knows? I'm, I'm a notorious speeder, have been for years. I, I've been pulled over many times. I'm not bragging about that, but I've been pulled over many times. And, and even when I have run into The a-hole cop, my consistent level of just positive energy, I've seen it break down, the a-hole cop. And I've seen like literally a-hole cop got me in Los Angeles, coming back from Las Vegas, and he was trying to bait me. He thought for sure I'm baby Suge Knight driving this Mercedes, and I just kept killing him with kindness. And he folded and just let me go. And I mean, he was killing me, trying to provoke me. And I just kept killing him with kindness back. And finally he gave up and said, all right, go ahead, man. Have a good day. And and I, so I know you know some cops that maybe are jerks or have had bad days. But if you give
2: them positive energy, I'm t- it breaks them. A hundred percent because, and, and let me make this very clear. There are cops that are out of control. You know, I worked with a few and I hated them. And, 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 and not only did... I hate them. Most of the officers on the police department couldn't stand them. And they definitely didn't have a good relationship with the public. But if you are killing them with kindness, they they want you to act the fool so they can react. If you don't give them a reason to react, a lot of times it's a wash. A lot of times some of the officers that I work with that just had a they just had a bad attitude or they walked around with a chip on their shoulder. If you start out by saying, why you pull me over then? Uh, you, you just fed into them. Now they're mad. Now they're going to try to get you for everything that they can. And I'm not saying that that's right. But as a citizen, you're responsible for your life, too. And how do you make this a better situation in the area in which you could control all you got to do is say hey officer Hey, everyone thank you for your service you know play the game we play the game and everything else in life there's a strategy and everything else in life in sales and doing an interview for a job and all of a sudden we get to the police and we act like oh we, we don't have to have any composure or have a strategy when you talk to a police officer I'm not saying that they won't give you a ticket be kind yes sir yes ma'am I wouldn't admit to a crime, but you don't have to fight them and you know you were speeding. You know, if they say, you know how fast you were going, you don't have to tell them how fast you were going. You just say, "Uh, I'm not familiar, sir, but I'm sorry, whatever. Give your driver's license, stuff like that. Be kind to them because police deal with the worst of the worst all every day, all day. And if you are kind and generous to a police officer, you are going to affect a police officer in a positive way where they say, well, man, you know, this person is decent. Like, thank God, you know. I'm, I'm going to give them a warning. You know, if you are a-hole, you just bind into everything else they deal with and they can't wait to to prove you wrong. So do your due diligence in putting your best foot forward. And if they act a the fool, then, hey, you can sue them or, you know, whatever you got to do.
1: I, I, one last little strategy that I employ, and I'm, I'm trying, because it's almost like we can't have these conversations about how to deal with the police. But again, being a notorious speeder, The one when I as soon as I see those red lights flashing, I get over to the side of the road as quickly as possible to me. The longer you make them follow you, the more suspicious they become. If you're off to the side of the road as soon as possible, they like well, he ain't trying to uh, swallow the weed. He ain't trying to hide nothing, he's just pulling over. And then before they get my hands out the window with the license before they even get out of their car. and and so i'm trying to put this officer at complete ease as soon as i can and i just don't understand why we if black lives really mattered we would be giving black boys men
2: people this kind of advice yes a thousand percent do a do a ride along people go do a ride along with your local police department and you can see when you pull a person over on a traffic stop it is very Dangerous, and you don't know what's gonna happen, especially during the nighttime. People have complete blacked-out windows. I remember when I used to pull people over. I used to always fear that somebody's in the back seat and they're gonna shoot me through this window because I can't see anything, and I don't know these people could be running from uh, be fugitives from California. They, they could be just you know cartel members with with, with hundred kilos of drugs in their car. Like uh, you don't know. So there's always a heightened suspicion, and there's a fear that goes along with every traffic stop you do. But when people roll the windows down and they're friendly and they pull over like they're supposed to, there's a meter of suspicion and angst that a police officer have. And that begins to be diminished the more that they feel like this is not a person that's going to run from me. This is not a person that's trying to hide drugs and it's going to kill me. This person has their ID. It's not a stolen vehicle. Like it begins to calm you down. But as people escalate, either you, they wait a mile before they pull over. You're like, okay. All these things go through your mind. Is this a stolen vehicle? Is this somebody in the car kidnapped? Is this person going to get into a shootout? You know, all of these begin to escalate. And then you keep the windows up and they go talk to you, say, roll the window down. Now you're being combative. It, it, all of these different scenarios that cops have been through that and have also seen that have turned deadly now is heightening their suspicion. So it's easy, man. Play the game. Tell the cop what they want to hear. Pull over like they want you to. Uh, Roll the windows down. Have the lights on in the car so they can see. Have your driver's license and registration ready to go. And if you don't, be kind with the police officer and ask him, may I reach here to get this, my driver's license and insurance? I mean, it's it's very simple. Um, But I feel like we are encouraging our young people to hate police. Therefore, they have animosity before they meet a police officer. And then they get into these situations where they want to be aggressive and they start fighting cops and more black men and women are going to die at the hands of police. If we don't start teaching our young people how to behave themselves and what's the best strategy to stay alive so you don't get into these confrontations with police.
1: Brandon, thank you so much for the time. Uh, are you, are you still involved? Is the Blexit moving still going on? Are you still involved with that as well? I know you have a very successful uh, YouTube uh, podcast show, uh, The Officer Tatum, I believe it is. on. If you go to YouTube.com, The
2: Officer Tatum. Uh, what else do you got going on? It looks like you've lost some weight since the last time I saw you, too. Maybe a little bit, man. I've been trying to eat a little better. So, you know, uh uh, we At Blexit, we, we have now 41 chapters all over the country, which we're in 41 states. So we're blowing up, man. We're making moves. We work with the police. We have an after-school program for inner-city kids. So we're doing a lot at Blexit, and I just wanted to make a clarification, because we are a 501c3, and we're not technically a political organization. However, we do a lot of teaching and educating people on the value of voting, And but we don't try not to make them vote in a certain direction. We just give them information and let them use wisdom uh, to vote. But we've been doing good there. My my book, Beating Black and Blue, uh, Being a Black Cop in America Under Siege. I wrote a book about all of these things that I'm talking about in law enforcement, George Floyd situation, um, justified versus non-justified shootings and policing. So I'm um, just trying to do my part, uh, Jason, just like you, man, just trying to do my part to inform as many people in a, in a, in a, in a godly manner so we can return back to the, the state of prosperity and not a fallen state.
1: Thank you, Brandon. Appreciate it. All right, let me take care of some business, tell you about uh, my best friends over at Good Ranchers. America has a meat problem because almost everything in grocery stores is sourced or processed overseas. That's why you need to see our friends over at Good Ranchers. With Good Ranchers, your meat problem will be solved and forgotten. They only sell 100% American meat sourced from local American farms. You will receive the best USDA prime and upper choice beef, chicken that's better than organic, and premium seafood, all at a price and quality that can't be matched by your local grocery store. And you'll be able to get all of this delivered right to your door, right in the comfort of your home. Get your $30 discount on prime steaks and better than organic chicken. Go to GoodRanchers.com fearless to save on the quality that you've been looking for. Use my code FEARLESS and enjoy your box of 100% American meat and your $30 savings. Order now to, con- uh, to combat inflation. With Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. You guys know the drill. Good soldiers eat Good Ranchers. All right, Professor D, Delano, smartest man on the show. Next. All right, welcome back. Uh, Time for the show to get smarter. Uh, Time for Professor D, Delano Squires, to join us. He's written a column off of uh, Peg to The Ron DeSantis initiative, the governor of Florida uh, providing $70 million in funding to promote fatherhood and support fathers. Uh, Tony Dungy attended uh, the signing of that initiative or at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers facility and social media was upset. How dare Tony Dungy be pictured with a Republican governor who's supporting fathers. Uh, (laughs) It's crazy. Uh, Delano can you make sense of it uh, he tried to in a column today a- explain the gist the point of your column
3: hey Jason so my, my column is pretty you know straightforward I'm, I'm making an argument that um, a lot of the political contention that we have right now is really a, a war of worldviews uh, between the left and the right generally speaking it's not a perfect. Um, analogy, But generally speaking, it's a war, war of two different worldviews. And um, I quote the great economist Thomas Sowell at one point, um, you know, in 1993, he was giving a speech. Um, actually, I think it was in Florida. And he said at one point that if you destroy the family, education and law and order, there's there's nothing else for you to do. Right. You can't make up for that. Um, And this war of of worldviews is one in which you see the left going after all three of those things. So, you know, I start by talking about, you know, the press conference in Florida and uh, the initiative that Governor DeSantis uh, talked about, right, including $70 million in funding for responsible fatherhood programs, um, funding for programs to help kids who are involved with the juvenile justice system and so on. And the reaction from the left, both in corporate press and even some of the f- folks in sports media, uh, was totally baffling to anybody with a lick of common sense, because everyone knows that fathers are important, or at least people used to know that, and they would acknowledge that publicly. So when Tony Dungy is criticized for it, obviously, you know, part of it is political. DeSantis is, is seen as a front runner for the 2024, you know, Republican nomination, And the left hates him. All right. All those former Cuomo sexuals um, hate Governor Ron DeSantis. Um, But part of it, I think, is ideological. And Tony Dungy brought up the fact that, you know, President Obama talked about these same things, you know, eight, eight, ten years ago. But the dirty little secret is even at that point, the first black president was criticized whenever he talked about the importance of marriage the nuclear family, fathers, fatherhood, family structure. Um, The only criticism he would ever get when he did that was from his left, including people like our good friend, Professor Brittany Cooper, um, Melissa Harris Perry, uh, Michael Eric Dyson. So it was was all of those types who said talking about fathers and fatherhood and family in that way takes away from the, the structural changes that are needed in our country, because to them, Um, marriage and family is about personal agency and personal responsibility and the left hates that right they're all about systemic and structural change now the funny thing is the only structure that they don't want to talk about is family structure but it's clear at this point that one of their um, sort of key uh, constituencies is obviously you know women um, and that's one of the reasons why they hate talking about anything that empowers men because they've been selling the lie that if you empower the woman, you empower the society. But we, we've we seen what 60 years of, of matriarchy has wrought, particularly in the black community.
1: The, the other thing is it's just like the belief that money solves problems or is mm. better than a father. And, and I just reject that because I didn't grow up with a lot of money. I did grow up with two very supportive, involved parents, mother right. and father, even though they were divorced. And, and I, I just, the things that my father instilled in me, uh, the foundation and support my mother gave me is what has propelled me to a better life. And, and I almost, I'm not almost, I'm thankful I didn't. We hmm. didn't have a lot of money. Uh, I, you know, it made me hungry, and and it made me, you know, maybe a bit more humble. Hmm. Uh, I, 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 I don't. It, it increased my drive and made me uh, focus in on the details th- that matter. And so that that th- this money is a god, and and people believe that if if. They just have the resources. It doesn't matter if they have a mother or father. We just give them enough money, problems will go away. And it's an elitist mentality. And I think mm. it's 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 a mentality that serves the people making that argument
3: more than it does any child. And, and Jason, I would add, it's an elitist mentality. Um, it's a materialist mentality. And it's a Marxist mentality. It's the belief that humanity is... Um, Is dictated by one's material comforts, right? But the fact of the matter is, every American today has more resource access to more resources than their grandparents, right? Virtually everyone, but um, we have a lot less concern and regard for one another um, and for the 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 dignity and inherent worth of each other's lives than we did in, in generations past. So. I reject this notion. And, and, you know, I saw people, you know, online, I think Jamel Hill said something to this effect, like, you know, fathers are important, but what about, you know, families who uh, maybe cash trap or struggling or, or what about this? Or what about that? But at the end of the day, and, I, and I've said this to, to people I know um, I'll ask them the question, well, if, if you had to choose between, if, if you had to say which of the two people is more likely to catch, um, a serious criminal charge, right? Um, Your garden variety gangster rapper after he hits his big contract or his working class cousin who goes to church every week. Which one would it be? Would it be the guy who's making $40,000 a year as a bricklayer? Or would it be the guy who just signed a big deal and, and has, you know, fancy house and fancy car? Because I, I could take off it's eat, Jason I could give you more rappers from Brooklyn right now who've caught serious you know sometimes federal charges guys like Bobby Schmurder, Takashi Six Nine Casanova and I can go down the list of Snoop Dogg was was once you know uh, on trial for murder Suge Knight so it's it's not the money the uh, materialism does not lead to to morals. And that's one of the things that I think right now we have completely backward in our culture. And that's why every problem that comes up is always about the response is always well, more resources, more services. Um, so that, that's one of the things I got in, in the article. The other thing, the other two areas, because I talked about family, the other two areas I wanted to talk about were um, education. right? And we've already seen how this has worked again in Florida. Florida seems to be a, a a key battleground in in these fights, but, you know, the the people who said that DeSantis created the the don't say gay bill, right? Look at their response. Their response was not even to argue with clear terms why they think they have a right to talk to our kids about sex and sexuality and gender identity. It was just to to say gay every time they got an opportunity, including at the Oscars, right? and then, you know, you, you see this in, in some other jurisdictions. I, I, I mentioned one or I linked to one where, you know, student, middle school students had to sit while a, a professor or a teacher engaged in drag on stage in a school auditorium. So you you see the difference in worldview, right? The conservative oh, generally hold for say. A I
1: want to play that. Huh? I want to play okay. that video of the, the drag. I think we have that. Drag Queen video. L- let's play that.
2: What the All
3: this at a high school. I think the middle school. All
1: right, th- th- that you know Th- that reminds me of of, and I don't want to distract from your point, but you know, libs of TikTok mm-hmm. just got off suspension from Twitter, and and they put out these types of videos just expose. Here's what the leftists are saying. Here's what they're doing in their own words, and Twitter shut them down, and mm-hmm. and it's like exposing, shining that light. And this like libs of TikTok to me is no different. Than uh, Martin Luther King and his generation putting on suits, going to lunch counters, asking to be served, and then just let the racists expose themselves right. and, and putting that in front of people, and 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 then you can see their immorality, their inhumanity, in and it's a great tactic. And and I think that's what lives. of TikTok was doing, and that's why. These types of columns that you're writing its just like you're just putting it in people's face. This is what they stand for. This and and they seem to be bothered. They want to mischaracterize what it is Ron DeSantis and these guys are doing because it's not a don't say gay bill. It's a hey, K through three. We're not going to be talking to these kids about gender and sexuality. We don't want you imposing your values on
3: young kids. Let, Let me throw the ball back to you. I mean, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, the, the difference in worldview couldn't be any clearer, right? So we talked about family. We talked about education. And then the last one, and this goes back to your previous guest, Officer Tatum, is about law and order, or as, or as Royce Watkins would put it, peace and order, right? Where um, Royce White, excuse me, as Royce would put it, peace and order. So when you see in the summer of 2020 all of these Democratic politicians, large corporations, entertainers, athletes calling— for the, the defunding of police departments across the, the country, even as cities are going up in flames, right, that, that should tell you that the two, the two sides are not operating, um, you know, they're, they're not playing on, on the same playing field. They're advocating for two totally different things. Now, fast forward two years, and now every Democrat politician, including the president, is saying, no, we need to refund the police because um, all of these ideas have consequences. You can't uh, think that you can undermine um, law, order, stability and think that there will be no consequences. And Jason, we see time and time and again, who is it that pays the consequences? It's low income people, it's working class people who are disproportionately black folk. Right. When when the murder, when the murder rate went up, or the number of murders or homicides went up thirty percent between 20, 2019 and twenty twenty. That was larger on the on the backs of black and brown folks. So if you go to New York City, between blacks and Hispanics, it's at least ninety six percent of homicide victims are minority. In Philadelphia, over ninety percent black, in Baltimore, ninety six percent black. So these are people who Again got themselves hooked up with, with an organization like Black Lives Matter who told them that the the key to liberation is to abolish the police. Um, Black Lives Matter made out with the bag, they moved to an all-white neighborhood, bought up all the mansions and they left all of us you know stuck in in chaos and dysfunction. so it's at the point where the the differences between the two camps are crystal clear and and then, one other part that, that I think brings this out more than anything, and I, and I say this in the column, is just the difference in how the left reacts to any restriction on abortion. Right? The Democrats used to be a party of safe, legal and rare. Now they're the party of shout your abortion. And they use black folk as the face of this. Every time you hear them talk, they'll say, oh, these restrictions will disproportionately impact low income women of color. And they've sold us through their, their puppets in media, people like Joy Reid, they've sold us on the idea that fewer black children born into this world is a source of liberation and freedom. And that black people who are really conscious and really pro-black should want to kill one third of their offspring. Um, and, and it's at equal parts hysterical and, and ghoulish when, when the prospect of more children being born causes you to reach for these crazy analogies about Nazi Germany and the handmaiden's tale and all this other nonsense. It just shows that, um, w- once people, um, stop worshiping or even acknowledging God, right. Once they elevate politics in the state, um, the, the, the moral order starts to decay. And then from there, the social order, um, decays in, in, you know, right behind it. And, and I think that's really what we're, going through right now and, and you know, you, you can see it if if you have eyes to see and, and ears to hear. Well, I, I wanna pivot and let you go on this note, mm-hmm. circle
1: back to my conversation with uh, Brandon Tatum. Uh, I feel like the reaction to this Patrick Lioia situation has been far more muted than I anticipated. Uh, yeah. And it makes me ask the question, has Black Lives Matter done so much damage to his brand? Has it been exposed as a grift and a, you know, a money grab so bad that it is now dead? Or do you think it's just gone on vacation and it will resurface at some point?
3: I think the Black Lives Matter organization, the one fin- founded by Patrice Cullors and Alicia Garza and April T-Metti is is dead. I think they're no longer a political player. Um, I think the sentiment behind them in terms of police and prison abolition, uh, which is carried forward by people from, you know, Colin Kaepernick to pick your garden variety local activists. um, I think I think that sentiment still is still there. I I do believe that part of what fueled Black Lives Matter in 2020, obviously, you know, everybody saw, you know, George Floyd's death and, and his 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 last eight minutes of life. But it was also an election year, Jason. And there was nothing more important in 2020 than getting the orange menace, Donald Trump, out of office. The left was willing to do anything in order to make that happen. And they were they were willing to get into bed with um, BLM to to accomplish that goal. Now, the problem is they got into to bed with BLM And politically speaking, caught an STD. Um, And and since then, they've been trying to distance themselves from that organization because they know how, how, you know, toxic and dirty they seem to to the rest of the public. So I I think you'll continue to see people, you know, call for fewer police and, 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 you know, fewer prisons and the abolition of both. But I think because this is not an election year and because the current president is a Democrat, you're not going to see as much hot, fiery rhetoric because it was, it was advantageous in 2020 because it was both an election year and to the extent that you could say the American project is racist and white supremacist, you could look at Donald Trump as you know, the, the avatar for that. But they don't want to hang that on, on Joe Biden's around his neck. So I, I think you will see a slightly muted reaction to this. And then there are also a bunch of other things going on. And honestly, Jason, I think the, the issues around sex, sexuality and gender identity have just completely overtaken race. Um, race is, is the last trump card, no pun intended, that the Democrats have. So so they will turn up the knobs on these inst- on these issues from time to time. Um, but even y- you see the difference, even institutionally and corporately, between uh, you know, in terms of the responses to race issues. So, so, for instance, think about the states that wanted to pass anti-CRT, quote unquote, laws. Yes, there was some, you know, there was some public commentary around that if you read the New York Times and the Washington Post. But you didn't have large organizations or corporations like Disney saying, oh, we're going to put up money to to repeal laws that get rid of CRT. But when it comes to sex, sexuality and gender identity, oh yeah, they, they're going to put their money where their mouth is. And part of it is because due to a lot of the, the left's um, ideas, the black population has stayed stagnant at 13% for pretty much the last 50 years. So the left is going where the people are. And Jason, I don't know if you've seen that there was a like a graph going around that shows the increase in LGBT identity by generation, so baby boomers and so on and so on and so forth, this generation is about one in five people identify as part of the LGBT community. So the left is, is wow. taking the growth of that, forming a new identity coalition, which does include a, a lot of black folk and saying, you know what, we can um, suck the energy out of what we've done with race and toss off the body. It's almost like when the cicadas come to your house, you hear the noise for a while, but by the time you see them outside on the wall, it's just a husk, right? What you, what you, what you flick off of the wall is dead. So they'll toss the, the, the race stuff and, and the issues that black community has, they'll toss that to the side because now the LGBT uh, identity group is a much, much, much more powerful lobby. And all of the organizations that formerly fought for black folk from media and nonprofits and advocacy organizations, so whether that's the Root or the NAACP, have firmly put their eggs in in the sex and gender identity basket.
1: Man, you just knocked it out of the park. You, you've made my head explode because I'll just add this little bit of a layer. Mm-hmm. What what the Democrats are saying, they're, they're cultivating a generation of LGBT people that they think will join right in with the Democratic Party. And when you look at from Kamala Harris to Kajanji Brown-Jackson, they're conv- cultivating black women as well. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have a coalition of black women and LGBT and that's gonna be their black vote. And and again, I think they're making it crystal clear as it relates to black women, they want you partnered with a white man, mm. not partnered with the ideal black woman is partnered with a white man and she's child pornography friendly, She's LGBT friendly. She, she's. Ba- I, I saw Tucker Carlson say this last week about Katanji Brown-Jackson, and it, it was like, man, I can't believe he had the balls to say that, but he's 100% accurate. He was saying, Katanji Brown-Jackson, she has the mind, she may look black, but she has the mindset of a suburban white woman. And mm. that's her upbringing and all that is all, she goes, that's just a suburban white woman. And uh, that, Kamala Harris, no different. And Mm. I, 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 man, that's a truth. What we're uh, the replacement of black people in the Democratic Party by the LGBT and black that that's a truth we need to push front and say, we're going to get back into that next week. Uh, If you don't write about it, I'm going to write about it. Uh, (laughs) But
3: (laughs) go ahead. No, I I was going to say, so, so Jason, this harkens back to my column last week, right, where I talked about the entanglement between black feminists and white liberals and that interracial relationship. And that's true. And this this circles back to where we started in this conversation. It puts men, heterosexual men, Christian men, black men outside of that alliance. Um, And I think more and more men, and particularly black men, are starting to wake up and say, look, we opened up this marriage. It's not working. Because now these white liberals look at me as if I'm a joke. I'm 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 basically playing the role that they say about me, the black man. Oh, that's just my girlfriend's husband, right? I, I'm in the house cooking and cleaning while they out on a date. Politically speaking, culturally speaking, and this is exactly the scenario that BLM said that they wanted. They wanted to disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family, and they had a vision of a bunch of women. Right, oftentimes identifying as queer. So some of them have had children, but now have no interest in a man who are raising their children together. And, and when you get down to that war of worldview, the, the conservative side is positioning its side as the, as the party of families, of, of men and fatherhood. And the, the, the left, the progressive left is increasingly positioning itself as the party of queers and cat ladies. We got, I got nothing
1: to add. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Jason. (laughs) Uh, Get your Fearless Army swag, shopblazemedia.com. You just heard why this show is fearless uh, from Delano, and it's going to get even more fearless. Dave Rubin, All right, welcome back. Uh, We're now gonna be joined by my uh, fellow uh, Blaze uh, TV uh, host, Dave Rubin, uh, who's written another book, Don't Burn This Country. Uh, Dave is also a native New Yorker, so I, I wanna talk with him about his book, wanna let him promote his book, but I also wanna talk to him about the events in New York this week and get his take as someone who grew up in his early years in Brooklyn and in the New York area. Uh, Dave Rubin, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, glad to have you. Uh, you've written another book, Don't Burn This Country. And so give me the, the brief summary. What's the point? What, what are you trying to convey with your latest book?
0: Well, Whitlock, it's always good to see you. Uh, and I think that the summary of the book is that if anything that you and I have been doing over the last couple of years was working, I wouldn't have needed to write this book. But unfortunately, <laughs> the woke continue. They continue to march and march and march, and we can mock them and we can expose them and we can show that everyone that they're hypocrites and all that stuff, but it's not enough. And that really is what this book is about. This book is about how do we separate from these people? How do we build new things? How do we build a parallel economy? How do you take your life back into your hands? How do you start thinking about your life in a new way and not do all of the old stuff that got us into this problem? So in many ways, it's a how-to book. We almost put how-to in the subtitle, but then it, it felt a little Home Depot-y to me. Uh, so we we didn't go that way. But really, it's, a, it's about thinking about the world a little bit differently. You gotta give the woke credit you may not like what they've done, but they've accomplished an awful lot in destroying so much of what we all knew was good and maybe we all took for granted. And this is this is how do you fight back? And part of fighting back, perhaps, is just separating from these people.
1: Mm, when you say separating from these people, what do you mean? I, I've, I've actually talked to some very rational people that think, like, we just need to split the country in half. Uh, that's not what you're suggesting in this book.
0: Well, I mean it more sort of intellectually, but I mean it a little bit physically as well. And actually I'm open to those conversations in terms of what is the United States. We have to at least discuss it still. You know, we were set up as a as a federalist system that the states were supposed to be far more important than the federal government. That's what the founders intended. And that really is a very sane system because then you have this ongoing experiment. Hey, if you like high taxes, go to Cali. If you like low taxes, go to Texas. If you if you want abortion, go here. If you don't want abortion, go there, et cetera, et cetera. So there's an experiment running where you can actually track where people live and see if they move to places that are congruent with their lives. I am not saying that the United States should not exist, but I do think we are coming to a time very rapidly, and perhaps we're there already, where we do have to discuss what unites us at this point. So as you mentioned, I, I was born in Brooklyn, I grew up in New York, and then in 2013, I moved to California, lived in LA for about eight years, and now I live in free Florida. I gotta tell you, in the three months since moving to Florida, I feel like I live in a different country. You could tell me I'm living in a different hemisphere, and I would believe it. The lifestyle is so profoundly different. The people, the attitude, the energy is so different here in Miami than compared to Los Angeles. So we're taking, you know, the two big metropolitan cities of those states, you know, on polar opposites of the United States. It's so 180 different that what is it that that unites us at this point? If the woke want Cali. And if they want New York, and by extension, you get Jersey if you get New York, and you probably get Connecticut, and they want some of these places, and then we end up with Florida and Texas and Tennessee and you know a bunch of other red states, I'm not saying we should be at war with these people, although they'll want war with us, but we can actually live in a way that just takes us back to what our founders said 200 years ago. The states should do most of the stuff. The federal government has very limited things that it's supposed to do. Make sure that we have national security, make sure the states aren't warring with each other, interstate commerce, et cetera, et cetera. But at this point, we have this giant albatross above all of us, and, and it's a huge problem right now. It's a huge problem.
1: How could? What would you say to the people that would argue, like, well, hold on, Dave, you didn't like California, you moved to Florida, you love Florida. Why wouldn't you say the system is working, that Florida, Tennessee, I moved away from California two years ago to Tennessee, I, I love Tennessee and it's working much better for me. What do you say to people, well, the system's working, states are uniquely different and you have the opportunity to live where, what, what fits you?
0: Yeah, well, to that extent, they are working, and that's a beautiful thing. The issue, I think, is what's coming next, which is as we see these migrations, so California lost something like 200,000 people last year. They're on track to lose another 200,000 this year. Florida, Texas, and Tennessee is where most of these People went, and for the record, I did consider Tennessee and I did consider uh, Texas, but but Florida was was right for me and my family. Um, the issue is that as the red states thrive, because that's what's going to happen. I mean, Florida is exploding right now. Nashville, Tennessee, uh, you know, the, the Dallas area, well, all of Texas, all exploding because people are going there. The problem is that as the red states continue to thrive economically, culturally, and everything else. The way that our whole system works because of the federal government, the blue states are going to want more and more and more. In other words, the red states aren't going to really want anything from the blue states. You know, they're going to say, hey, okay, we're doing our thing here. We're just fine. Florida's Florida. You know, get off my back in Texas. Leave me alone in Tennessee. The blue states who will go into massive debt because of their ridiculous programs and all of the bad policies, they're gonna want all of that tax money, that federal tax money that they take from citizens of every state, they're gonna want all that money. And then the good guy who lived in Tennessee before you got there, who lived within his means, who voted the right way, who who did all the right stuff, he's gonna become very resentful of having to bail out California every few years because of their bad policies. So yes, the system is working right now in that you are free to use your foot vote and move around the system. And, and I pray that that continues. And by the way, I don't want all the crazy leftists coming here, of course. I, I, you know, it's funny, when we got here, I'm, I have a dog, I'm walking my dog around. Anytime a neighbor says hi to me, or I, I usually go up to the neighbors to say, hey, I'm new here, I make sure to say the same thing to everybody. I say, just so you know, cause I'll say I'm from LA and they always kind of freak out. I say, just so you know, I am here to keep Florida, Florida. I am very clear about that because otherwise what you're going to do is you're going to get what's, what's happening in Austin, Texas, where you get this huge influx of blue state people and then they start turning the city blue and then you have all the problems again. Austin has a homelessness problem and, and a bunch more right now.
1: So Dave, I got to ask you this. You're gay, you're married, you're going to be a father. Governor Ron DeSantis is in the crosshairs over his alleged don't say gay bill, parental rights uh, debate in Florida. What do you think about the way that this DeSantis bill is being unpacked to the public as some sort of initiative against gay people?
0: I know you are a religious man, so I will not curse, but I will say that the, the narrative around this thing is, is pure BS. Uh, this has nothing to do with don't say. Oh, gay. you mean they bullshit?
1: Could've... Did you mean bullshit <laughs> by BS? Or, or did you mean, were really you talking about Bill Simmons? Oh, <laughs> go, go ahead. Um,
0: the, the narrative around this thing is complete and utter bullshit. That really is the truth. This thing has nothing to do with being gay. You could have just as easily, if the meme makers who spread the ideas around our society would have been honest, they could have just as easily called it the don't say straight bill, because you would not want a male teacher at a public school to sit down privately with a six year old girl in first grade and talk about gender identity or sexuality privately with her and then hide that conversation from the parents. So that goes across the board. There was nothing about gay in this the word gay is not in it. This is Bill HB 1557. This is about transparency and education. And Jason, everyone in their right mind knows that you should not be discussing these issues with someone else's children. Everyone knows that sixth graders, this is about kids that are in K through three third grade, everyone knows that they are not thinking about these things. I have. A, I just went to my six-year-old niece's birthday party here in Miami. They're, it was at an art place. They're playing with slime and and shaving cream and paint. These kids, the idea that you would say something about gender identity to these little kids is so psychotic, but the media, as you know, lies about everything. This has nothing to do with coming for gay rights. This has nothing to do with homophobia. As a matter of fact, Jason, Two weeks ago, I was invited to dinner with Governor Ron DeSantis and his wife. His wife immediately congratulated us on having kids, and guess what, I don't have it in my studio right now, but then a package arrived to my house about three days later, and it's two onesies, because we're having two kids. It's two little baby onesies. It says future freedom voter on it with Ron DeSantis' name on there. These are not homophobes. We can have an honest discussion, as you and I have had many times before, about religious liberty versus, uh, you know, secular, Uh, marriage and all that kind of stuff, but that has nothing to do with this. This is about, are you going to let state employees indoctrinate kids? And that you could just as easily be saying this is about straight indoctrination uh, from a straight teacher to a young child as, as it would be a gay teacher. So they've lied about everything completely and utterly. Put a pin in that one.
1: So Dave, as you pointed out, I am a Christian. I have a biblical worldview. Uh, on this show and on other blaze platforms you've been a topic of discussion since announcing you were having kids uh, we had a discussion here on this show Delano Squires a guest a contributor wrote a column I think Ali Beth Stuckey put out a video I have certainly said some things and believe some things that you know probably aren't consistent with with your values I'm not a proponent of same-sex marriage I, I what I am impressed with, and I want to know, is just how comfortable have you been with coworkers of yours and peers of yours discussing your private life and voicing opinions of dissent. Uh, how have you felt about that? And and you know, I I, I think it's very mature of you from afar, uh, and I think it's it's what it represents a lot of what conservatives believe that we can engage, we can disagree while remaining respectful of each other.
0: Well, that's it right there, man. I mean, look, I know we have some disagreements and does that potentially put a cap on our friendship in a certain respect? It probably does, that, that really is the truth. I, I know we have a, a mutual respect and a, and a working relationship and I love when you come on my show and I think you like when I come on your show, but there probably Definitely. at some level is, is a cap there, that that just exists. And by the way, that's the same exact thing that I've said to Ben Shapiro, he's an Orthodox Jew. Uh, So he he holds the same position that you do. But you know, Jason, I don't think I'm king of the world. And I don't think my life and my decisions get to supersede someone else's life and someone else's decisions. So you are entitled to your religious liberty. I I am not forcing you to marry a man. Uh, I don't think you're forcing me to marry a woman. Uh, there There is a further discussion here related to the conflict between individual rights and some level of traditional values and the family. I I had that conversation for about a half hour with Glenn Beck, it's a type of conversation that you could have for five hours a day for many uh, years, but I would say this, which is what I said to Ben Shapiro when I had him on my show years ago about this, well before I was having kids, that my hope is that, although I am not here to convince you to believe anything that you do not believe, My hope, Jason, would be exactly what I said to Ben, which is that I hope that we remain friends and colleagues for another 50 years. And when we're rolling into our 90s, that we've remained respectful the whole time and everything else, and perhaps by me living a good life and you living a good life, or let's say the best lives we can live or something roughly around that, that the proof will have been in the pudding all along, and that whatever differences we have actually may not matter that much. So that's the, best, that's the best that I can do. But I, I would say just one other thing, which is that most of this that I got was love, truly. E- even for the difficult conversations, this isn't the easiest thing to talk about, right? Um, even for that, I'm not si- I don't sense I'm sitting here in horrific judgment from you. Uh, I know, you know, I've talked about this with Glenn privately in his home. So it's not as if we don't break bread together and discuss these things and, and a bunch of other private things that I wouldn't bring up you know, publicly. And, uh, That's what it's all about, right? We talk for a living. We're trying to work through some stuff.
1: I can say it authentically, man. I love you, Dave. Uh, And I don't pass any harsher judgment on you than I pass on myself uh, for things that I believe I've done and do that are sinful. Uh, And so... I love you man and uh, appreciate you coming on the show you're always welcome on the show I do plan to be friends with you for as long as we're on this earth together cuz I, I respect you uh, and I hope you respect me despite my fo- whatever flaws I, you, you may You think know I that have. you
0: know that I do it's you know we don't even have to say it in a way because we do this it's always it's always respectful and the funny thing is that you know guys like us we ended up doing this but it's like we could talk about basketball for 20 hours and and have a better time than doing this kind of stuff. Maybe basketball isn't that relevant these days. And, and you know, my feelings, and I think it's your feelings too, about what's happened to the NBA and, and professional sports as a whole. But there's so many other things that link us all as human beings, as, as imperfect creatures. And it just, you know, life L- goes on. Let me move we we us got to bigger one. fish to fry, man. We really do. Let you're, me move us to a bigger fish. you problems.
1: My my distaste uh, for New York and the environment that they've created there, I'm arguing and suggesting to people, and and this is why I wanted to have you on, uh, that this Frank James situation, along with COVID, I think has done some real permanent damage to the brand of New York City. I don't think it's going to be easy to recover from. Uh, I, I, I think... That city has marked itself as lawless and uh, is run by people who think they're God and think that they can control the liberty and freedoms of others. I, I, I think Frank James may have fired a fatal shot into the brand of New York City.
0: You know, it's tough. You mentioned uh, I was born in Brooklyn, spent my first couple years there. Then I grew up in the suburbs in Long Island, but my grandparents lived in New York City. I spent my whole childhood going to New York City. Uh, And then I lived in New York City in Manhattan, basically for most of my adult life from about 1999 uh, until 2013. And then I moved to LA, as I said. Uh, I loved New York City. I was there during 9-11. You know, those memories are are scarred into me forever. Uh, The the ethos of a true New Yorker, the take no BS, you know, here I am, I'm loud, and I'm going to push through and, and make something happen in the world, and if I can make it here, I can make it anywhere. That's like the most quintessential American dream in some ways. That is very long gone uh, from New York City, unfortunately. It's not to say that there aren't people that believe that there, but you're, you're totally right that New York City has been broken in a really, really awful way. Uh, the COVID lockdowns, the destruction of the middle class, so many good people have fled. Uh, I tell a story actually in, in my first book about my family, uh, who all came from Eastern Europe at times in the in the five boroughs of New York City, but it was often in New York, mostly centralized in Manhattan. We had upwards of about a hundred family members in New York City, New York City and Brooklyn usually. Uh, we pretty much have one cousin left at this point. My sister during the lockdowns, her and her husband and two kids, she's having a third now, they moved down here to free Florida. They they left New York City. First, they tried the suburbs for a couple months. That didn't work either. And now they're down here. New York City, look, if you bring in people like Bill de Blasio, who don't believe in law and order, who believe in all of the neo-racism and all of this crazy socialist nonsense. And then he he does what he set out to do. You know, he, at the end, when he was leaving, even though his his approval numbers were horrible and so many people had fled New York City and everything else, the decay, the crime, he left saying, hey, I did what I wanted to do. It's a pretty, it's a pretty good run that I had here. That's what he said, I mean, watch the video. And then they bring in this Eric Adams guy who people thought, oh no, no, he's a sane Democrat. He's not a complete lunatic like Bill de Blasio. And Eric Adams has proven himself to be a complete lunatic like Bill de Blasio. It's painted up a little bit nicer in that he doesn't sound completely as insane, but crime is running rampant. Every street corner uh, has homeless people on it and smells like weed. Um, All all of the stuff, this shooting is so extraordinarily horrific. And the fact that the, the, you know, now they're saying the cameras were down for a while. I love the fact, by the way, that it's a Syrian immigrant. Who happened to find this guy, and that's who brought him in. And I'm sure you saw the video of that guy, and it's like that's a true American right there. That that that's an American, and that's what New York City's all about too. But yeah, there's a real problem in these cities. How can you trust that the city will do right by you? How can you say, hey, I'm going to open up a small uh, pizza shop in New York City? I'm going to open up a brick and mortar with a window out front, knowing that any given moment they can release that airlock, the crime will start. The violence will start, the mobs will start, and then the mayor himself will be hampering the police all the way. They've done something seriously dangerous and I don't know how it gets fixed.
1: I wanna bring the conversation full circle and then I'm gonna let you go. Part of your book, which to me, comes it comes across a little like a self help book in a positive way because you use your own life and experiences to ex- explain here's how you liberate yourself from the people that are trying to burn down the country. Uh, you you one of the things that stuck out to me you talked about your experience with Patron and how that eventually led you to launching Locals and 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 I bring it all together by saying that the Frank James and how I believe, partially radicalized by these social media platforms and this whole pushing of the oppression and you're a victim and America's systemically racist. And, and so Elon Musk has purchased, or is trying to purchase Twitter. You uh, have launched Locals and other initiatives. Are you hopeful that social media can pivot from a system of oppression and censorship to just lean a little bit more in the direction of freedom and free speech.
0: I am, man, I said on my show today, today is day one of a post-woke world. I think there's a chance. I think this Elon Musk thing is extraordinarily huge. You know, Elon Musk, he's just a man. We think of him like he's not a man. You know, he's some superhero. He's sort of like the Tony Stark of reality. This guy could do anything with his life. He could do anything you can imagine. And he can also do a gajillion things that you can't even imagine. We do have the resources that he has. If he wanted to get on a rocket ship with his family today and spend the rest of his life, going out to Mars or going out to wherever with all the chefs and all the servants. and all He could do whatever, he could buy Bora Bora and live out there forever. He could disappear, he could do whatever he wants. What did he choose to do? He chose to actually do pretty much the most difficult thing. Not just that sending a rocket, is not difficult, it's pretty damn difficult to do that. And you know, he sent a Tesla, he literally sent a car into orbit for no reason other than he could. Okay, so the guy can do pretty amazing things. But he chose to do the craziest thing, which is inject himself right back into the fight. He said, hey, I will put my money where my mouth is, I am going to try to help uh, the free speech fight. I'm going to try to clean up the public square and see what happens. And then, of course, what was the reaction? Well, you've got all these blue check people saying this is the worst day ever for free speech, even though he's trying to free free speech. You've got all the board members and all the 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 blue, you know, the uh, the blue haired. So there's blue check people and blue haired people. You've got the blue haired people over at Twitter all freaking out that he's, you know, he's some mean dude or something. And I think there's a chance right now because what he's doing bigger than just saving Twitter, and you've you've been talking about this for years, Twitter is sort of a myopic thing and it's not really reality. But on the other hand, it, it, it is a big cultural influencer. He could have walked, he got back in, but the signal that he's sending to everybody is, hey, I'm fighting, are you fighting? And I think that's valuable. I really think that that's valuable. So I am calling today day one, of a post-woke world, it is time to start fighting. That's what the book's about, it's what you do every day. But if everyone in their own lives can figure out a little thing that you can do, if you live in a city that's blue and it's crumbling, get the hell out of that city. If you're thinking about getting into $100,000 debt to go to a college to get a degree in lesbian dance theory, don't do it. You'll find another job. Any, there is a series of things that you can do. Don't send your kid Uh, your little toddler to a school where they're gonna, by five years old, be indoctrinating them about gender and race. There are things that you can do in your life to get a little power back. And I think Elon's signal to the system, regardless of what happens right now, I, I sense that he'll get it because the offer is so good. It's so over market value that even the woke shareholders, whoever they are, are gonna be like, ah, you know, I will take the cash. But even if it doesn't happen, the signal has been sent. And that's what we as humans need. You need someone to go, hey, I'm here. I'm doing something. Anyone else want to join me? And then I think people start coming. If you build it, they will come. Somebody said that.
1: Thank you, Dave. Awesome job. Appreciate you. Good luck promoting your book and selling your book. Uh, Continue to be a force for good and a force for free speech and freedom here in America. Thank you. Great seeing you, my friend.
4: All right. Stick around. We're not done yet. i want to go to heaven with freedom. It's my obligation. I hate discrimination. Raising up your hands for freedom. We must exist in a state of man glorious as we are protected by the red, the white, and the blue. But remember, the mind is the key. The fearless soldier pledges to place God first and foremost in his everyday endeavors of life. We the fearless army are one nation under God, indivisible with freedom and a belief in the American dream. The men bold enough to join our movement comprise what we like to call the new dream team. We are leaders of our families, our churches, and of of this this nation. nation. We reject the seeds of division that are planted by corporate media misinformation. We affirm that all men are created equal and are endowed with inalienable rights, which are granted by our Heavenly Father. We are bound by honor to accept God's challenge, to take the flag and lead, to cherish, to protect and to nurture the life of our unborn seed. I am a fearless soldier, so shed no tears for me. I am not a victim. I am the man that God made me to be. Amen.
1: All right, welcome back. Rubbing my face, Jim, because it feels thinner. Yeah, you're starting to look like
4: Al Roker about the neck. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you got that Al Roker neck going on.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do I, does it look flabby? Yes, it does now that I mentioned it. It looks flabby? You you gonna have to go get one if you was on a motorcycle t- you'd t- be t- if t- t- you t- go on the motorcycle? But, <laughs> I need a chance, yes, bro. For real. Look, toe, do like sir. this. Do like this. <laughs> Look. It's huh. Yes, bro. You can see that, honestly. Mm. Honestly. Good. Or, right, it's it's a good right or bad. here, bro. Is it good or bad? Does, it's, if you had some round glasses on, somebody want to tell you how the thunderstorms went across last night? <laughs> Come on, man. I got some more work to do below, though. Obviously. I I, I hate to see how the rest of you is sagging. <laughs> Well, you go home and try to try to shoot yourself below the left breast, you're going to shoot yourself in the knee, wouldn't you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm gonna be honest with you. Today, as I was stepping out of the shower, I made the mistake of looking in the mirror. And I had to say, I look better. I was, I I actually stopped for said, for real? Wow.
4: You looked at yourself like, damn, what's your number? God damn! <laughs> Come
1: on, that man. That is true. Uh, he said that's true. <laughs> He's like, damn! I did look good. I, 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 you know, I don't. I wouldn't say I look good. I'm just saying I looked improved. This is build back better. This, I'm doing build back better. Uh, uh, what did
4: Demzell tell you? It always catches you right when, right, right when it's yeah. at, your, at your high point, huh? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Come on, man. Uh, we're doing an approval rating on Black Lives Matter, Jim. This is going to be one of the quickest approval ratings we've ever done in life. <laughs> <laughs> you're not you're not. What do you think of Brandon Tatum before I get to I thought he did
4: a great job. I thought he did a great job. I was. Yes, I, I loved him. I was, I was. I enjoyed everything. Former
1: he had. law enforcement officer. And, and he, he
4: told you exactly. I'm sure y'all had some
1: kind of energy for us. Between
4: what, honestly, what, what I like that he said truthfully and you didn't really pay attention to it. And it's one of the things that I didn't get a chance to say to you this is this is really true. But he said, he let it be known. He's like, oh, I wouldn't have had a problem with that. With the George Floyd video, you, you made me look at it. What did I say? I'm like, oh, I could have handled that. I say
1: it. No, that would, but what you have to understand that he told you. Oh, no, hold on. So what you're, the point you're making, because I was a little bit, is Brandon said he could have taken this guy down. Yes,
4: he said I could have handled that. I would have taken him down. Yeah. In other words, what that means is we have a different way, and what I mean by we, they, they call it seasoned, meaning you're a veteran officer. You know what you do. What that officer was doing, he was trying to do everything by the book. OK, and what Brandon, Brandon's like, hey, I could have took him down. He's like, you see that part right there? And, and he, the part he showed you, the thing I was going to say to you was where he was walking behind him. And what caught my, idea, my eye was his pants were halfway down. Yeah. Honest to God, man. And I told Corey this man, if I was as gassed as that officer was, I would have pulled his pants straight down to his ankles, draws it off. Because once you do that, guess what you just did? You just turned those pants and turned them into handcuffs so he couldn't have ran anymore. So I actually would have done that. I told you when I watched that video yesterday, as soon as he got out that car and I told him twice, get back in the car. I would have told him one more time. He didn't get back in the car. Bam! He's on the ground. I'm done with this and he'd been alive today. It wouldn't have looked good on YouTube. You wouldn't have liked the language that I would have used to get his attention and make sure he understands English. Don't make me blow your brains out. Move again. You want something? You want to move? I'm not going to look good on TV, but guess what? Everybody going to go home. I'm sorry. Let's go.
1: That's a, it's an excellent point you make, but but we've taken all of that off the table. Seriously. No, what did I tell
4: you? I asked my buddy, I said... How do, you teach, how, how do you teach officer safety and, political, um, and poli- political awareness? You can't have
1: both of them. Well, Jim, I'm going to connect this all the way just like the whole week of shows to where we're landing here. Monday, I'm talking about Disney and the feminizing of sports and American culture. And so, and again, I'm not trying to defend the Bobby Knight way. But we've gone so far the other direction, is that you know we don't allow again, just like you saying, that cop trying to talk coarsely and to shake the dude up and get your blah blah. He being
4: like, politically correct.
1: Speak with a voice of authority and some anger. What you can't do that anymore because our culture's so soft. And I mean, it's just like for for me and it's again, it's why I'm a bit aloof is because people can't handle direct conversation. And so I tend to say less, because that's where we're at in American society. To, you know, you, direct conversation is you know, frowned upon because everybody's soft.
4: Uh, and, and saying that everybody's soft is putting it mildly.
3: Uh,
1: Black Lives Matter uh, job performance. Uh, I I don't know if you could do any worse. When the mayor of New York, a Democratic mayor, is calling you out and calling out your hypocrisy, uh, you know, that's a Democratic mayor. They were all on Black Lives Matter's team not that long ago. So if they're getting fired by Democrats, they certainly uh, can't be doing a good job. So I'm going to give them a zero. Let me ask you a question real quick. What is the job of Black Lives Matter? What is their job? Uh, To raise, they would argue, to raise Attention about the unfair treatment of black. What's the real job of black lives? Matter? What's their real job? To raise money for
4: the Democratic Party? Uh, okay. To me, Black Lives Matter says that when a black man or black man gets killed by a white officer, we take him to the streets for this injustice. That's what Black Lives Matter does. Well, a black man has been killed by a white officer, and I ain't seen one riot. I ain't heard one piece of glass get broke. I ain't. Only thing I done seen about this has been Benjamin Crump. Okay, so no, Black Lives Matter ain't doing their job, Jason. Y'all need to get on y'all's job.
1: <laughs> they can't. Work.
4: Where's the riots?
1: <laughs> character. Uh, I think Black Lives Matters is low in character. Has no character, to be honest with you. Uh, dishonest and just no character. They stolen the money. Uh, from people in bought mansions and, you know, living their best lives uh, off the backs of dead black men. Zero character. Black lives matter. Okay.
4: Zero character. You know, to me, the lives and, and what you stood for as far as talking about the black lives matter and talking about black men. Yeah. You know, and, and, and real quick, they talk about black life. Black lives matter. Jason,
1: don't life matter? All lives matter, Jim. Life. Yeah. Black. Oh, come on. Yeah. Uh, so you gave him a zero as well. As always. Authenticity. I don't know if there's a, any more inauthentic thing in America. Zero authenticity. Jason, how do you have a Black Lives
4: Matter movement without no black faces moving in it? <laughs> <laughs> you talk about saving the life of black men and there ain't even no black men in the rally. <laughs> how real is that? Come on, man. Uh, That's like me and you having an abortion rally. I don't follow that one we ain't got no business there we, we, we ain't having no but in other words I'm saying they ain't we ain't got no business there man come on I'm sorry we ain't got no business there
1: I would actually be at a protest protesting abortions but uh it factor uh I still think be, we're talking about them right now Eric Adams called them out in New York people still talk about the, their it factor is dwindling but they still, there's some spark to them, so I'm giving them a 20 in that factor.
4: Okay, this is one of a few times that you have given somebody, man, I'm giving them a zero straight down the board. I ain't going to play with them. Uh, let's be honest, man. They, they, they've got their homes. they got their millions. I mean, what, what, they've proved it. What else do they need? i tell you what they do need. They need another slogan because, you know, now I guess our black lives don't matter. I guess now they're going to be like, trans lives matter.
1: Uh, pretty much. Uh, Jim, let me. I'm trying to do the math. If you carry the one and carry In, it from your. Over? Oh, over your. Fi- yeah. You, yeah, you came up a zero. You gave him a zero. That's kind of high. Just go did deep. the math. Uh, That's kind of I gave high. him a 20. Uh, we both have mid dumpster fires. Black Lives Matter don't mean no good to no black lives. Jim, I got a pee and I hear tomorrow, so I got to go. I got to go. <laughs>
4: I wanna be, I just wanna
2: For the right sign, looking like it's my time, feeling all kinds of free. These words are our religion, no regrets and our decisions.
4: We all wanna go to heaven with.